0: And thank you all for being here. It's good to be back with you. I was on my annual trip last week with my two sons, our football trip, and we had a great time. But it's, uh, it's good to be back. We missed all of you. And it's good to be here on this beautiful Sunday to, uh, to be worshiping together in this place. is a great joy for me and I uh, hope it is for you as well this morning at the 830 service the sun was so bright and brilliant through this back window and especially the orange colors seemed to stand out and I was I was surprised that I could enjoy the color orange today <laughs> I saw a lot of it yesterday and uh, <laughs> and uh, fell asleep with that tiger rag song in my head and it was a uh, but I do have on my Atlanta Braves tie. I, I wanted to know what it's like to support a winner. And uh, <laughs> so, congratulations to our, our baseball guys in Atlanta. It was, a, was pretty exciting. But it is exciting also to be here and to be together in God's house this day. And our scripture lessons this is the last Sunday for a while that we're going to be using Mark's gospel. And then next Sunday, the lectionary passage in the Old Testament, I want to tell and talk about the story of Esther. Esther is one of those Old Testament characters that um, we don't talk about a lot. And that's an amazing story of how God was moving uh, through Esther. And we'll, But that's next week. And uh, then the week after that is World Communion Sunday. So we've got a lot to look forward to. But for today, Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. And I would ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon, gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by the way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "If thou, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Someday when we have a little more time together, I hope all of you will take a moment to share with me the strategies that you employ to avoid an unpleasant task. Aren't all of us, to some extent, on some level, procrastinators, especially when it comes to doing something that might be difficult or painful or controversial. There are some folk who enjoy such predicaments. There are folk we all know who seem to thrive on conflict and, and controversy. Perhaps Santa Claus will bring them a good therapist for Christmas. But most of us, I believe, have developed ways and means of putting off an unpleasant task, something we'd rather not do. If we were to declare the remainder of this worship service a testimony meeting and give everyone in here a chance to share the way you go about putting off something that you'd rather not do, we'd have to order pizza for supper. We'd be here all day. We've all got our techniques and tactics Now, as most of you have discerned by this time, all of this avoidance talk is leading up to a true confession on my part. The gospel lesson for this particular Sunday from the lectionary is one that I avoided preaching for over 33 years. When I started in 1976, I managed to stay away from this story for 33 years. I've preached it a time or two since then, and we'll try again today. But you understand that the lectionary is based on a three-year cycle. Year A has the gospel from Matthew, year B from Mark, year C from Luke. And John kind of gets plugged in all along the way in all three of these years. That means that this particular story has presented itself many, many, many times since I started doing what I do a long time ago. I've read the psalm on that Sunday or the Old Testament lesson or the epistle lesson. I've asked an associate pastor or a lay speaker to preach. I've managed to find a continuing education event or a vacation day where I just needed to be away. I, I just didn't like this story. I'll be honest with you. I didn't care for this particular story. So what is it about this gospel lesson, and not the whole thing, but the first half of it about the woman? What is it that causes me when I run up on this story to take the bypass instead of just driving right through town? I honestly believe that it has to do with the way that Jesus comes across to me in dealing with this non-Israelite woman this mother who is troubled to no end because at home she has a young, devil-driven daughter. On the surface, and I've seldom looked below the surface on this in days past because I just wanted to overlook it altogether, on the surface, Jesus comes across as rude and arrogant. And that does not line up with the Jesus I think I know with my image of who Jesus is, I've just tended to look the other way. There's a Charles Wesley hymn. It was last included in a Methodist hymnal in 1939, I believe, the 39 version of the hymnal. And I can't remember the last time I've heard it sung anywhere, but it begins, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And isn't that the way a whole lot of us think about Jesus a whole A lot of the time. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And then when he acts, quote, out of character, we're troubled by that. We have trouble understanding that it doesn't fit with our picture, our conception of who he is. Recall with me, if you will, for a moment or two, some of the other incidents in the life of Jesus in his ministry when meek and mild would not have been the term that we would use to describe Jesus and what he was up to. I'm thinking about a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. After his mother had said to him, they have no wine. And he responded, woman, what concern is that to you and me? And I thought, oh my, who talks to their mother like that and gets away with it? Uh, Came down pretty hard on her, it seems like. On the road near Jerusalem, near the end of his life, He said to the fig tree, May no fruit ever come from you again. The tree was not producing as he thought it would, and the fig tree withered at once. And in the country of the Gerasenes, a man with an unclean spirit approached him. The demon's name in this man was Legion, in other words, many. For we are many, the demons said to Jesus. And when Jesus cast the demon out of the man and send them into a herd of pigs up on the hill, and the pigs rush down into the water. You think the owner of the pigs would have described Jesus as meek and mild? He saw all that money running down the hill, all that barbecue being tossed in the ocean. <laughs> And then read Matthew 23, the whole chapter. Read it a few times if you haven't read it recently and count the woes, W-O-E-S. How many times does Jesus say to the Pharisees and other folk there, woe unto you? And you can almost hear the viciousness in the words, the bite in the words. And if we're thinking Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, while we read these confrontations, there's liable to be a serious disconnect. doesn't fit, does it? So, maybe I was off base in assuming that Jesus was acting out of character when he talked to this woman in this particular way, this Syrophoenician woman. Maybe there's a rough edge to General Jesus. Maybe there's a jagged edge to Jesus that we sometimes ignore or overlook. And if so, if that's true, does this ragged edge of Jesus diminish his perfection? Maybe I need to take a closer look at the story one more time, anyway. Jesus was ready for a little downtime. He had been busy, the press of the crowd was always there. He just couldn't find time to be by himself. He had to really struggle for that. So he slipped into what appeared to him to be a safe house, but to no avail. He was barely inside. When a woman who had this daughter who was possessed, who was ill mentally and physically, heard where he was, she broke in. And she knelt down before Jesus and she began to plead for her daughter. Sort of as a parenthetical note, I thought we parents and grandparents will do things for our children and our grandchildren that we would never do for ourselves. We'd put ourselves in some embarrassing predicaments to take care of children and grandchildren. She was a them and not an us. And that could be one reason why I believe we've never heard this particular text or story used on Mother's Day. Jesus said, stand in line and take your turn. The children get fed first and then anything left over, the dogs get it. Mercy. She said, of course, Master. But don't dogs under the table get the scraps that are dropped by the children? We try at our house. We do pretty good. We don't feed our dogs from the table. I have done that in the past. Uh, but you know about that, about dropping things. Oh, my, I dropped that, and you're feeding the dogs that are under the table. You can picture that. Jesus was impressed. You're right. On your way, your daughter's no longer disturbed. The demon has left her. She went home and all was well. The woman who shares the stage with Jesus, so to speak, in this story is a Syrophoenician by birth, a Greek. That is, she's a Gentile. And it's really superfluous to give this information because when you go back and you read the story again, you realize it's set entire a large Phoenician port city in Syria. But Mark wants his readers to be sure. He wants us to understand. He wants us to hear clearly this woman was a Gentile. Gentile men of the nations outside of Israel. She was a pagan, a heathen, some would say, an outsider. The structure of this miracle story, which is really an exorcism, has been considerably expanded by the movement, the presentation of the problem, to include the appropriateness about this whole idea of healing the Gentile. Why would Jesus do that? Well, the effective word of Jesus has been reduced to a very simple announcement about the cure, the response of amazement frequent in mark's gospel is not here so many stories in mark's gospel when something wonderful happened the people were amazed mark will remind us of that over and over but it's not here the focus is not on the exorcism so to speak so much as it's on the gentile question who's an insider who's an outsider Jesus' initial rebuff of the woman, the part about stand in line, children first, dogs last, affirms the priority of the Jews and the mission of Jesus. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to begin with. The woman's response allows that teaching to stand, but she's also so persistent that Jesus reached out to a Gentile as well. Jesus, granting her request, approves of the woman's attitude and provides for the early church, and for the church today, I believe, a warrant for its mission to the Gentiles, to the outsiders, by grounding that mission in the earthly ministry of Jesus himself. I know Paul would talk about apostle to the, to the Gentiles and all those kind of things, but here's Jesus earlier than that. Reaching out to a Gentile. So let's debrief for a moment. It's a tough story. And then let's take a look at the story that constitutes the second half of this gospel lesson, one that I'm much more comfortable with, and maybe you are too. Back to the woman in the first story. Did she carry out this home invasion of sorts, intruding on Jesus' private space out of faith or desperation? Are the two mutually exclusive? Do they even hang out together, faith and desperation? If faith and desperation were to dance, who would lead? Was there just a tiny bit of a twinkle maybe in Jesus' eyes as he engaged in this back and forth with this woman? I think he admired her. Was he impressed with her persistence, her wit, her humor, the... Ability to think on her knees, so to speak. She was pretty tough. But again, we do things for our children that we wouldn't do for anybody else. First impressions can be deceiving, and perhaps my first impression of this story was not altogether accurate, but I let it drive me for a long time, and I let it keep me from really looking into this story. Was Jesus being rude and rough and mean with this woman? Or was he, in reality, being graceful? My understanding of God's grace often gets expanded in ways that I had not expected. The little box that I try to keep God's grace in, the lid just won't stay closed. And maybe, maybe this is the grace of God. As for an unnamed mother, an outsider... You reckon she had any regrets about being so forward with Jesus? I reckon not. She went home to a daughter who was whole, in her right mind, strong and well, what we want for all of our children. Part two Jesus left that part of the world where the Syrophoenician woman was, and he made his way to the district of the ten towns, the Decapolis. That's what it means, ten cities. Keep in mind for a moment, if you will, that these were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and that this was Gentile territory. So some of the folks there brought a man to Jesus, a man who could neither hear nor speak, and they said to Jesus, heal him, make him better, take care of him. Jesus took the man off by himself, So much faith healing now, especially television kind of faith healing. Folk want to be on stage, they want everyone to see. Jesus took the man off by himself, performed some ritualistic actions, prayed and commanded, Open up. Open up. And his speech was clear, and his ears were open, and he could hear. And Jesus told everyone there to keep it quiet. <laughs> but they couldn't. They kept talking. They got excited. Can you imagine? <laughs> Folks don't behave like that anymore, do they? I mean, you've got something sometimes. You've seen something. You've experienced something that's just so tremendous. You feel like you're just going to bust open if you can't tell somebody about it folks were so excited he's done it all and he's done it well giving speech to the speechless and hearing to the deaf this miracle story is expanded precisely at the point where the one about the woman that we talked about earlier is most brief the circumstantial description of Jesus healing gestures heightens the sense of the miraculous and the crowd gets beyond the amazement To an appreciation of who Jesus is and what he's up to, an appropriate response to the miracle, to appreciate, to love, to to bow down in gratitude before the one who caused it to happen. The word used to describe the man's infirmity here is mogalalon, and I hope my pronunciation is close, M-O-G-I-L-A-L-O-N. It appears only twice in the whole Bible, in the whole Greek Bible. And one of those previous times is in Isaiah chapter 35, beginning with verse 5. Listen to these words so long before this story involving Jesus. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams. In the desert. The reference in Isaiah to God's glorious fulfillment at the saving, God's saving fulfillment at the end of time when the kingdom is fully come. The kingdom of God above all earthly nations. The line from the Messiah, the line from Scripture, and the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The only kingdom that will last for all time. Perhaps Mark's gospel is trying to tell us that this Jesus is more than a good man who happens to have a gift for healing. He is the fulfillment of the promise of God. He is the promised one. He is Messiah. Now the connections between these stories, Syrophoenician woman and deaf, mute of the Decapolis, these stories have been sort of shrink-wrapped together for the purpose of the lectionary reading, but also in Mark's gospel, he seems to wrap these stories together. Any connection? First, both follow the controversy about clean and unclean that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. Outsiders and deaf mutes would have fallen in that unclean category. Imagine calling someone unclean because of an illness. Second, the pair of stories is bracketed by references to what some scholars call the messianic secret. Jesus was hiding out in the house trying not to be noticed. And then after healing the guy who couldn't, speak and couldn't hear he said, don't tell anybody so there's a, a secret to all of this but truth is there's no hiding for long the revelation of jesus but sometimes it takes eyes of faith to really see it third connection between the stories he has done it all and done it well that's the concluding accolade and it seems to be referring primarily to the man who was deaf and couldn't speak clearly but isn't it a fitting conclusion to both stories the syrophoenician woman who went home and embraced a daughter who was whole and strong and a man who could speak and hear for the first time and beyond that to all of the miraculous acts of jesus And the including of Gentiles. Thank God for that or where would we be? And the fulfillment of ancient prophecies regarding the speechless and the deaf. These were all signs of the presence of the kingdom of God. So how is it with each of us, our families, our church family? Is Jesus to us a master, a jack of all trades and a master of none? Do we ask him along sometimes because it would be great to have his company and because we need his help a little bit? Or is Jesus the master of our hearts who does all things well? Amen.